The new thing that we have is the hot potatoes will start Wednesday at 6.30 and we're gonna just talk about uh, where have we gone as a nation and then we're gonna talk about the different topics um, later on um, in the uh, month. Also, women's Bible study starts Monday. When do, women's Bible study. Oh, women's Bible study, what time? Six, six. Six at Panera? Yep. Okay, yes. great. And then sharing the harvest uh, for the lobby for donations for food and also for little kids to change for the baby um, diapers and stuff. And it says, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is my sustainer of my soul. Let's stand together as we can sing joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Um, joyful, joyful, we adore thee was written in 1907 by Henry Van Dyke. Unlike most hymns, the words to the song were written to be sung to a major classical number. The music is Beethoven's Ode to Joy, which was written in 1824. The scriptural inspiration for this great hymn is Psalm 145, verse 10, which says, All you have made will praise you, O Lord, your saints will extol you. morning's prayer confession. Our awesome and wonderful God, we realize how often we fail to live up to your perfect standard. We confess there are times we gave in to our frustration and anger that led to inappropriate reactions towards others in thoughts, words, and deeds. We admit that, there, that we didn't always have great attitudes towards others. Some people and their ways can really annoy us. Lord, forgive us and create in us a clean heart and restore a right attitude within us. Through Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen. <clears throat> Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from Colossians 1, verses 21 through 22. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Guidelines for living this morning is from Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord God 
with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Let's continue to worship and let's stand together if you can and sing Worthy is the Lamb. the cross, Lord. Thank you for the cross you paid, bearing all my sin and shame. In love you came and gave amazing grace. Thank you for this
This Is My Father's World was written by Isaac Watts in 1715. It was set to a traditional English melody and arranged by Rafe Vaughn Williams in 1906. The scriptural basis for the hymn is Psalm 95, 6 and 7. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much for the many blessings that you give us. We thank you, Lord, that we are in such a country of great abundance. We have so much. We thank you. 
We thank you for the privilege that we have to be called your children because of Jesus Christ's greatest gift of all. Lord, please accept these gifts from these brothers and sisters who care about your kingdom, who love you and are so grateful for what you've done for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a beautiful day to be together as brothers and sisters. To be able to, Lord, gather before you and to bring our hearts, joys and sorrows before you and to know that you listen to everything that we say. And today, Heavenly Father, we come to you for this wonderful nation that we have. We're so grateful for it. But we know, Lord, that as in many generations, it's a very delicate balance of what goes on to keep us free. I thank you for all the men and women who risk their lives to keep us free and to keep us safe. We think of, again, this society that we live in, that even this morning, shots rang out. Lord, we know the violence of this world. And we ask you, God, to help us, Lord, and continue to see and build zeal for the lost because this world is lost. And we know it, Lord, and we want to help change that. We pray that the church, that we can become militant and be honest and open and, and, and get people to see the truth in their lives about what you did for them and also the way of life to live. I pray also too, Father God, for um, our leaders that they will also sit down and really think about what they're doing and consult you for what they need to do because it's turned into such a mess. And Father, today I come to you with the Lord for so grateful for the hope that we have. We lift up today Bill Bannister who went to be with you today, Jesus. Be with Connie and her sons and his son, and as they
We pray also too for our shut-ins, for Lucille and Joyce and Karen. We pray especially for Karen's step-granddaughter, who her son right now is missing. He'd been missing for 13 days. He had talked about suicide up in Utah, and they haven't found him yet, Lord. We just pray that he's okay and that he will come back and that he will get help. We pray also too, Father God, for Howard, we're so grateful that he's healing so fine. And for Joyce, as he prepares for back surgery. For Everett, Lord, and the cancer that he has. And for Angie Ogile and Samantha Mumma and Jason Stevens as they battle their cancers. I pray also, too, for our students that are away in college and that are moving forward in their life. Lord, help them to keep their eyes set upon you. I want to pray also, too, for um, Nick, who's going to be having surgery. Lord, we pray for a blessing on that surgery. Be with Jill and um, Kurt as they guide him and be with him. We also pray, Lord, for Mr. Sater and uh, for him as he's uh, preparing for marriage. I pray for this afternoon that as Chase and... Um, uh, that Chase and his future bride, that you'll be with them in their marriage. I pray also, too, Father God, for Mr. Mack in our school as a teacher is battling cancer right now. And I want to pray, Father God, also, too, for Floyd Rodeimer, who also is battling cancer, Lord, on esophageal. I pray as they set him up for um, chemo and whatnot here in Wichita, we pray that we can also find him housing here so that he can not have to make such a long journey every day. And I want to thank you, Lord, for our brother here. He says, thank you for dying on the cross for us and saving us for our sins. I pray also, too, that um, I pray for a young man who can see with his eyes the truth of the gospel and love you, Jesus. I pray for children that are right now going through difficulty and divorce and trying to factor the whole thing, Lord. Just give them your eyes, Jesus, to see the truth. And we pray for Heather, Lord. We pray for her and her heart that, uh, Lord, you will turn it around and that she will come to know you, Christ, as her Savior and truly walk in your ways and change. I pray also for those who are battling addictions. I think of Russell. I think of Ricky, I think of Eric, I think of David, Ryan, and Jordan, who just got out of treatment but has lapsed already, Lord. I just pray that you'll open his eyes to see how much he needs to follow you, Jesus. And Lord, for some of the other things that we have on our minds right now, Lord, hear our prayers in the silence of our hearts as we lift them up to you. And now, Father God, open our eyes. To hear what you have to hear, you want us to hear and to see what we need to see so that we can be more pleasing in your sight, Jesus. In your name we pray. Disorder. Now, that's not saying that everybody that they find that comes to a doctor because there's some who are never diagnosed. In fact, they think there are a lot of people who are struggling with anxiety in our society today. In fact, anxiety levels, they say, have hit all-time highs in our society, even because World War II, we didn't have as much anxiety as we do today. And here we are, the freest nation in the world, and all the things that we have, and they say anxiety is super high. In fact, it's amazing that um, patients back in 1950s exhibited anxiety that children experience today. Children shouldn't have that, but they do. And it's an issue that we struggle with every day because many people, they struggle with anxiety about one of the things is separation from family. The extended family and the, the loss of community and neighbors. Uncertainty about employment and also the threats of terrorism and also uncertain futures. Medical costs. Technology. 
lack of emotional support, but we get the answers. They say we're living in an age of anxiety. We're hyperly connected, but yet we don't have the security. Seems like it was interesting. I was reading about a Harvard University study on the anxiety that is transmitted to pets, dogs and cats, and that they are developing a thing that you can wrap around your dog so that they can feel less anxious. We're passing that on to them. Worry is a temptation that's common to us all. You know, we as Christians kind of smile about that. But really is a sin. Today, Jesus speaks to us about that anxiety. Jesus is not talking about being prepared and thinking through things and having checklists and making sure that everything's okay in a manner that's being prepared. Jesus is talking about that worm that gets into our minds and just begins to deteriorate and divides the mind. It confuses us. It gets us all distorted. That's what the anxiety Jesus is speaking about. Anxiety is when you have an allow an uncertainty, a fear to grip you and consume your heart and your mind, leaving you restless. We're like a computer. You know, they have a lot of people in America and throughout the world working on keeping computers from getting viruses. Our national defense needs it. The financial industry fights real hard to keep from getting viruses and worms. And what the Bible of Jesus is saying to us today is anxiety and worry is like a worm. Not only is a virus that attacks a file, but it covers the whole computer and it shuts it down or it chokes it and slows it down that you can't use your computer. That's what a worm does. And that's the worry worm that comes into our minds, the greatest computer that has ever been developed, which is your mind and your heart. And it gets infected and it slows down and it stunts your spiritual life. It stunts your physical life. It stunts your mental capacities. Oh, how we would like to be able to say that man that wrote that wonderful song back in the 80s, Bobby McFerrin, be happy, don't worry. But if you have children, if you have loved ones, it's hard not to. Especially in this philosophy of today and of what's going on today. About inflation. About worry about money. Worry about your children getting ejected, um, in, in finding themselves addicted to drugs or alcohol. Or even in our own lives as we're thinking about retirement funds and inflation. And then when we hear that an urgency that comes across that U.S. credit has been downgraded because of Biden and stocks. It's easy to worry. It's easy to take on and be worried about Ukraine and what that's going to do to our economy or what that's doing to our military. And a lot of it has to do with our control over the future. I had a friend one time, his dad, when they go on vacation, he had a clipboard. He had everything laid out. He had everything that needed to be packed by the kids, by the wife, by himself. What time they were going to leave, what time they were going to get back what they were going to do on their vacation. And the kids used to, as they got older, they used to like to play with him a little bit and steal his clipboard and hide it for a day or two and drive him nuts. And then he'd be worried, what, what he missed, what he missed. Well, it's easy to do that. And today Jesus comes to us. And he says to us, and, and he's going to say later on, you know, it's okay to prepare. He talks later on in the Sermon on the Mount about an ant and how he prepares for the future. That's not what Jesus thought. He's talking about the worry that constantly nails us, makes us anxious. And it could be about money. It could be about health. It could be about our children. That can easily rob you and me of our joy in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, Jesus tells us why it's not good to be worriers. If we look at what Jesus says this morning, look at he commands it first. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. 
We're living in a wealthy culture, and it's so easy to worry about things. Jesus talks about food and clothing, and he's illustrating how easy it is to get caught up in the material world and be worried about those things. It's those disturbing thoughts that keep us awake at night. And, 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 and what it is, worry becomes self-strangulation. And the two words that usually come out of it all the time, and it begins with, what if? We start playing that game, what if this is going to happen? What if, what if this happens? What happens if the, and, and we find ourselves getting strangled. And worry is the continual fear. Of the worst scenario taking place. I know people that are professionals at this. They can worry about anything. My grandmother was a huge worrier. She drove my dad crazy. When he tried to calm her down, she just would worry about her grandkids and her kids. And really, a lot of the stuff she worried about never came true. Back in the early time of the church in the 300s. Roman deities would come along. Caesar considered himself a deity. And what he made Christians do, he made them once a year proclaim he was Lord. And they would come and some of them would stand up and say, Jesus is Lord, and he would kill them. But they didn't worry. Justin, maybe you remember him, Martyr, Justin Martyr. He was one of those. And what he said to Caesar was this, you can kill us, but you can't hurt us. Because he knew the hope that he had in Jesus Christ. And these terrible things can easily happen to us, yes. But worrying's not going to change a thing. Sometimes I hear people say, well, pastor, I don't worry, but I'm concerned. Yeah, <laughs> that's why you couldn't sleep all night last night. We know that. Jesus today. Why do you think in this passage today, and it's interesting, because Jesus knows us very well. Last week we talked about treasures on earth. Why do you think Jesus, right after he talked about that, speaks about worry? Because we worry a lot about money. Talks about the greed can easily cause us to worry. And Jesus wants us to be well aware that as we go about this, we need to do this wisely. Because this is something that we as Christians should really not buy into. Yes, we can be concerned. Yes, we can take steps to prepare ourselves. But worry should not be part or anxiety a part of our lives. And so Jesus commands the disciples not to be anxious because he knows what they're going to go through. If you want to see something, go on your phone this afternoon. And read about all his disciples and how they died. Jesus was preparing them not to worry. And look what he says in verse 25. What you will eat or what you will drink not your, about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What Jesus is saying is, what do you value? Is that all there is, is worrying about all these things and that's what life is about? No. When we get so wound up in worrying about these, we lose the big picture of what life's about. We lose the pleasure. We lose the excitement and the joy that God wants to give us because we're so connected on that worry. And if you're gripped by anxieties, you lose the sight of the greatness of life. We all do. The enjoyment that God wants to give us. We are meant to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That means while we're here, to enjoy this life that he's provided for us. And not be afraid of it, but instead get excited for what he's provided for us every day. And yet it's so easy to get choked by the anxiety 
And so Jesus says to us first, what do you value? Are you valuing those things so much more that it's going to choke you because you worry about And then he says to us, look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap or gather into barns. Let your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus' second reason for us is this. He goes from the lesser to the greater and he says, look at these birds. And they don't have to go around and reap and put it in barns and all this stuff. They are taken care of by me. And they're not worth anything compared to you in my book. You are of much greater value to me because I'm sending my son to the cross to die for you. That's how valuable you are. I value you so much. And yet I provide for these little birds. And in fact, in Leviticus, there's a, he talks about it in Luke and, and says that, you know, the raven that God detests, he still provides for him, the bird, raven bird. And that, look at what he does. He has so much love, he gives himself for you to die. In course, and he values you greatly. We miss that. When we're going through those pressures and we're letting those anxieties take us, we're not trusting that God really loves us. And yet, the Bible here says, Jesus is saying, you have a heavenly father that loves you so much and values you so much. You don't think he's going to take care of you if he takes care of these birds that really are not big to him at all? You've got to get your focus right, your head on straight, because he values you so much more. Sometimes we believe like the devil, you see. The devil believes there is a God. He even trembles about God. But he doesn't know God. He doesn't have a heavenly father that cares for him. and puts his hands around us and loves us. And yet the Bible says about the God of the scriptures... Even in the Old Testament, they didn't talk about God as Father. It's not until the New Testament we can pray, Father, the term of endearment to our God, who art in heaven. He just spoke about that. Paul says that we call him Abba. That's like Daddy, the most closest intimate endearment a child can have. He says, you can talk to me like that. Because that's how much I love you. You're mine. I sent my son to the cross for you. You were my chosen child. I will never let you go. I love this poem. Because I think I ran into this about two years ago. And it's a great little poem. And it's written by a lady by the name of Elizabeth Cheney. And I, it says it all about this passage. Because it's about the robin and the sparrow. And it goes, it's real short. And it says, said the robin to the sparrow, I'd really like to know why those anxious human creatures rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, I think that it may be that they have no heavenly loving father such as cares for you and me. That says it. Do you really believe God really cares about you? See, that's why we chase these values of life that are not so important, because we think we're going to miss it, and that they're valuable and they're not, and that we have a God who really loves us beyond any measure we could even fathom. And, and Jesus is considered these ravens who are detestable in the Old Testament. And to provide for them, how much more do I love you? Martin Luther talked about it. He says the flowers stand there and make a blush and become our teachers. They tell us 
that our God really loves us and teaches how highly he values you and me. How many times have you tossed and turned? I know I have. This job, <laughs> over the last 40 years that I've worked as a pastor, there have been times that I've tossed and turned and I've lost sight of that. I got mad at myself one night sleeping. Dave, what are you worrying about this for? It's not going to even happen possibly. And here you are not sleeping because you're tossing and turning and you're not giving this over to God. Let him have it. He's much bigger than you. If he's put this whole thing together, he's put his whole plan of salvation together. If he knows what you're doing next month, Dave, you're wasting your time. It's all unnecessary because you have a heavenly father. It's uncharacteristic, Dave, of what you have for faith. You're trying to control the future which you cannot hold on to. And the point is that Jesus is telling us, give it over to him. Let him have it. How many people today in this world are alone? We have millions of people. I've known people who stood in crowds, and yet they feel so alone. They feel like they have nobody. And yet the Bible tells us that we have a father who intimately cares with us and is intimately in our lives by the Holy Spirit that has come inside to dwell in us. And he holds us. And he carries us through the difficulties of life. And Jesus is saying, don't get preoccupied by all this lesser stuff that's not important. Because you have a heavenly father who really loves you. And that this worry is a killer. <laughs> it doesn't add to your life. The number one killer in America is heart disease. 38% of all deaths are related to the heart. Hypertension, high blood pressure, cancers, lung ailments, accidents, gastrointestinal illnesses. Three quarters of all visits to primary care physicians are related to complaints and disorders by anxiousness. And we're worried about our clothing. It's pretty obvious that God really cares about us. We need to hear it. That's why Jesus brings us out. You know, a lot of us, it's like the people today who are basically want to be dogs and cats. The obvious is there. And Jesus is saying the obvious is for us too. Remember the emperor with the clothing and guy sold him a bill of goods that the clothing he was wearing, it was really beautiful and he was naked. And finally a little boy comes along and points out the obvious. You don't have any clothes on. And this is what happens in our society. We even make up stuff. And it's all a vanity deception. It's a fear of loss of power. Wanting to be noticed. And the Bible says you have a heavenly father who notices you very well and loves you. You see, then Jesus takes us and says to us, and he comes to us, and says it very well. And that is, which of you by worrying can add a cubic to your life? See, sometimes when we worry, we don't have that ability to see and understand. But you know what? 
Worrying, Jesus is saying here, is like getting on a treadmill and pumping for an hour and going nowhere. It doesn't affect a thing. It won't even affect a cubit. It won't add to your life. It's a delusion. And it's robbing us. And see, Satan loves to rob you and me of the joy of the Lord. He plants these things around us and we, we gobble them up. And Jesus says, you're not going to add a cubit. You're not going to be better for it. In fact, it's going to be worse for you when you worry. It's going to hurt your body. And, and, and Jesus then comes and says, why are you worrying? So why do you worry about clothing, considering the lilies of the field and how they've grown? And they neither toil or spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. Jesus wants you to look great amongst the world. And you can imagine where Jesus is preaching this sermon and they're looking out on the field and there's a down that mountainside, they're seeing all these beautiful flowers that are so multicolored. And he's saying, look at what your father does. Now Solomon could not even get close to copying that color. Could not even get close to copying the pattern that God has set in those beautiful little flowers. Each one of them different, but yet the same. Solomon could never even pay for that, never find it. He tried. But he said, no one is so arrayed as good as those flowers. And your father in heaven wants to array you with that kind of beauty in your soul and in your life. So that when people see you, they see the radiant glow of his light and the, the beauty that he does inside the heart of a one who sold out to him and has faith in him. It, it, it changes the world. And when you're involved in it, either they'll be very mad at you that you got it because they're envious of what you have in your faith with God. Or they're going to contemplate and see, I wish I could have it and don't understand how to get it. And your God wants you to look beautiful to the world. And we go through these trials, and when we apply faith, and when we live Christ's example in our life, it turns a light on that glows to the world. And they can see it different. They see the way we handle it. And how we have the power of God in our lives doing that. But it's so easy to get preoccupied. Carry those burdens. And that's why Jesus comes along in verse 30. And he says, but if God so clothes the grass, the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? And look at the phrase he says there. Ye are you of little faith. That's where it's at. It's a faith issue. And, 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 and let me tell you, if, if you struggle with anxiety or fear or worry, one of the best things you can do is study God, his attributes. And you get to begin to see how much bigger he is than all the problems of even this world. How awesome and beyond what we live in and what we exist in he is. And that we can then have that confidence in him that we just let it go to him. Because we know he's stronger than all that. That we have a big God in our head. You know, this is what we're missing sometimes. Is we don't have a large enough capacity in our minds to understand how great God is. Because if we did, we would not worry. Because we realize 
is bigger than that. And that we know it. And we're not afraid to trust him because we see the power behind his might and who he is. It's like the disciples. How many times, you know, sometimes I wonder if Jesus had a flat head. Because every time he would see the disciples, he would go, here they are crossing the Sea of Galilee. These are experienced fishermen and they're not wimps. They've seen pretty good storms. But they're in the boat and here they're coming over. The waves are coming over, over the sides of the boat. And they're in this little boat. They're panicked. These are experienced guys who've never seen a, 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 a storm like this. And there's Jesus. He's sleeping over there. Let's wake him up. Lord, Lord, don't you worry about us because we're going to perish. Jesus gets up, says, you guys, a little faith. And he turns and looks at the waves and he says, be still. <laughs> Just stops. And then they're like, man, he's got some power. He's been telling you that all along. You've got to see it all along. You've seen him heal people. You've seen him have power over the storms and the waves. And, and yet you still don't get it. You see, he was preparing them because he knew what they were going to face. And they didn't have that faith yet in him. They didn't have that faith in their heavenly father. They were just picking up religion from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's why Jesus is having this intense session with them on the Sermon on the Mount. Because they still didn't get it. They've been into the synagogue for a long time and they still didn't have it. And Jesus says... What happened, my? Okay. He says, "You get little faith." I must have hit a button wrong, huh? No. Anyway, I'll just leave it that way. And so he wants them to see the providence of God. Therefore, do not worry, saying, "What shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or what shall I wear?" And then he says something that's, he says, you see, after all these things the Gentiles seek, he says, they don't have a heavenly father. For your heavenly father knows exactly what you need. He said, this is why the world goes crazy and buys all kinds of things and, and, and tries to impress people with how bigger houses and bigger boats and, and, and all these things. Because they don't have a heavenly father. He says, you have a heavenly father who truly loves you. You have 3,000 promises of God, over 3,000 in your Bibles, folks. And Jesus wants us to think on those. And to put those up here so that when those crises come, we know that he can handle it. And that he's bigger than our problem. And look what he says to the disciples. He says the Gentiles don't have what you have. So don't act like them. You have me as your, you have the father. And then he says to them, but you seek the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. The parable of the prodigal that Jesus tells in Luke. Why is that boy left this wonderful home with a father who loves him? Because he was watching the world. And he wanted the world. And then when he's finally with the pigs at the bottom of the barrel eating what the pigs are eating in order to survive, 
it finally comes to him. My father has so much more he can give me. I could even be his indentured servant and I'll serve him because he'll take care of me better than this situation I'm in right now with eating with the pigs. And if you know anything about Judaism, that's a terrible place for him to be. He's at the lowest of lows because he's feeding with the most disgusting animals. To Judaism was a pig. And here he is eating with them. And Jesus is saying, you have a heavenly father who cares for you. Do you really believe that? And all through the scriptures as we see these 3,000 promises. We hear God speak to us. And it gives us the confidence. Isaiah talks to us. And how beautifully he puts it. He says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you. The more I seek God's righteousness... And his kingdom and focus on God. He'll give me more peace than I'll ever need with. I love the book of Habakkuk. It's a very short book in the Old Testament. Three chapters. What I love to hear is I love to see Habakkuk going to God and complaining to God for two chapters. And then all of a sudden at the end. He comes around and realizes what he's been doing. And he puts faith into practice. And he says, though the crops don't come in, though the animals don't provide food, yet will I trust him. And God's in control. He knows it because he knows God's got the plan. He knows God's got the purpose for our life. You see, that's one of the things when you're going through difficulties in life, it is very hard to go through them without believing or understanding that there's a purpose in it. And your Heavenly Father has a purpose for everything you go to and through. And He loves you. And he wants you to experience his joy and strength in the most difficult challenges of your life. And that you could have that peace that Isaiah speaks about. Now there are times we have to be careful with ourselves because sometimes we get cranky. Now I know most of you don't get cranky or tired. I have a little two-year-old that runs around my house four days a week. And I can tell when she's needing a nap. But she gets really cantankerous. And I'm thinking. And she's fighting it. And sometimes that's what happens with us. We need to just take a nap. We need to give it over to the Lord and rest in him and just take a nap. Because sometimes when you're tired, you know as well as I do. In fact, they say at night it's the worst time to act, talk to your spouse about certain things because they're tired and they're cranky and you're going to have a fight. To go to bed and come back with God's mercies that are new the next morning that can pick you up. And you can get a clear focus again rather than buying into your body and your energy and, 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 and your, uh, all those things that go on. I see it with my grandkids. They need to go home and go to bed because they start picking at each other. And that you can have that peace in the midst of fear. A year ago when I had a procedure done with my urologist and he came back with the news that I had cancer of the prostate. And he said, we can monitor it and you'll be fine. We just got to keep on top of it. And you know, 
I had a peace about it. You know why? If the Lord wants to take me, that's beautiful. And what a peace he'll give me. And if he wants me here more, I will be here more. And it's his purpose and plan. I know that. And I'm peace with that. But you know what happens to us? Sometimes we can't let it go. Because we don't trust him enough. And what happens is we get so wound up in doing so many different things that we get lost in the shuffle. And we lose our spirit and we lose our faith in God because we're so overwhelmed. How many of you, I love this. I, you know, when I was a little kid, I saw this in black and white. And to this day, when Lucille Ball and Ethel Merman are in the pie-making factory... And they're trying to keep up with the pies being made by the machine, and they just can't do it. And they're throwing stuff all over the place. And that's what happens with us. We're, we're so busy, and we're so hurried, and, and we don't take the time. And in fact, there was a Dutch artist by the name of Johannes Vermeer who painted this beautiful picture of Mary and Martha. And Jesus is sitting down, and Mary is listening to Jesus. And Martha's, Savior, don't you care? Look at all these things I got to do. And you're, my sister is not helping me. She's listening to you. <laughs> and what does Jesus say to her? Martha, what's the important thing here? Oh, oh, oh. We get so wound up in life, we don't think about it. And we lose sight of it. And then all of a sudden, we get the crisis. You got the cancer. Everything comes to a break. stops. Here we're going and blowing along and everything seems to be right. And then all of a sudden we get stopped by that message. Now we don't stop. We put it in his hands. Of our loving Heavenly Father who's in control and knows exactly when I'm being taken out of this life. And when he does that, it'll be a great day. This morning... Brother Bill Bannister, been battling cancer in ALS. And this morning, the Lord took him home. New body. In the presence of Jesus, no more pain. The cancer tumors that you could see on his head, it's all gone. The pain on his brain was no longer. Why? Because God had his time to pull him home. And that's why Jesus finishes this up where he says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow, we've got enough to worry about our own things sufficient for the day right now. And he says, you've got enough to worry about today. You don't have to project about worrying about tomorrow. Every day is a new day. And guess what? My grace and my mercy is with you every day. And I'm going to be by your side. And I'm going to walk you through that. And you have to trust me on what I provide for you and what I have planned for you. You don't need to panic because I'm going to walk you through that. You don't have to fear and get knocked down in your spiritual life or get knocked down mentally. Just trust me. I promised you I'll never leave you or forsake you. John Chalcedon, fearless preacher in the early 300s. The emperor said to him, you got to stop preaching. <laughs> Chalcedon wasn't threatened. He said, if you don't stop preaching, I'm going to throw you in prison. He said, well... The Lord goes with me to prison anyway, so whatever. The emperor said, okay, I'm going to take all the way your processions. Well, all my possessions, possessions, my treasure are in heaven. This is only to take care of me while I'm here. So you can take it all. Then the emperor said, I'm going to banish you. The remotest part of my kingdom 
and leave you alone? Chelsea said, that's God's kingdom, and he'll be there right with me. He wasn't threatened because he was assured of his heavenly father's love. And the same thing is true with us. That's why Jesus went to the cross to assure us that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll always be our side, by our side. And he, that's why he joined the human race. It's like an officer in the sheriff's department in Salt Lake City giving a, a lesson to other officers. Walks out into the hallway and there is a crazy man with an AR with 16 people hostage. And it's making them go into the room and he was in his civilian clothes. He joined those and added one more hostage. And then we got to them. He said, I'm an officer of the law. And he drew and shot the man. Took away the threat. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He entered into our clothing, our bodies. And took away the threat. So that we could be close to the Father. And that the Father could love us. And that we can sense that and experience that in our life. If we truly want that. So let's thank God. And say this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all his righteousness. And all that will be added unto you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for this congregation. And I pray everybody here knows that truth. And that they don't have to suffer from anxieties or fears. Because they have a heavenly father. That has called us to be your children. And that you died so that that can be. And that we can truly trust you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray this. Amen. Please receive the benediction. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>